Welcome to the December 3rd, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study that describes how transfer of whole mitochondria from hematopoietic stem cells to bone marrow mesenchymal stem cells helps regenerate the stroma and its capacity to sustain hematopoietic recovery in irradiated mice undergoing stem cell transplant. Examine the potential benefit of adding the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax to standard treatment regimens for patients with relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma. And finally, we will learn more about how NCOA4, the autophagic receptor for ferritin, is necessary for the mobilization of liver iron stores during stress erythropoiesis. Our first topic is a study entitled Bone Marrow Regeneration Requires Mitochondrial Transfer from Donor CX43 Expressing Hematopoietic Progenitors to Stroma by Karin Golan from the Weizmann Institute of Science in Rehovot, Israel, Abhishek Singh from the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in Ohio, and colleagues. Conditioning regimens for clinical hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, or HSCT, include total body irradiation, or TBI, to replace the host's hematopoietic system with donor-derived cells. While TBI is lethal to hematopoietic stem cells, the mesenchymal stromal cells that are a critical part of the bone marrow microenvironment are much more radioresistant. However, there is growing evidence that indicates total body irradiation also damages important cells in the bone marrow microenvironment. The mechanisms mediating HSC niche regeneration after irradiation are largely unknown and therefore represent an area of intense investigation as understanding these mechanisms would enable optimization of current HSCT protocols. Here, the authors show that a critical mechanism of recovery of the stem cell niche following irradiation involves physical transfer of mitochondria from donor hematopoietic progenitor cells to recipient bone marrow mesenchymal stem cells, or BMMSCs. Golan and colleagues first demonstrated that total body irradiation in a mouse model causes loss of mitochondrial membrane potential and toxic levels of mitochondrial reactive oxygen species, or ROS, in BMMSCs, resulting in severe mitochondrial damage. To visualize and measure mitochondria, they used mice with a fluorescent tag called Dendra 2, fused to subunit 8A of mitochondrial cytochrome oxidase. These experiments confirmed the mitochondrial reduction and fragmentation in MSCs following total body irradiation. Remarkably, through the generation of chimeric mice, the authors demonstrated a bidirectional mitochondrial exchange between donor hematopoietic cells and a subpopulation of BMMSCs. Mitochondria preferentially travel from the donor hematopoietic cells to the latter, including host MSCs with up to 90% of the MSCs receiving mitochondria from hematopoietic cells over the subsequent month. The potential human relevance is suggested by co-culture experiments with human CD34-positive hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells that transfer mitochondria to mouse stromal cells, albeit at a lower frequency, potentially because of the shorter time or the absence of in vivo signals triggering mitochondrial exchange. 
Transferred mitochondria are morphologically and functionally integrated in recipient MSCs, where they increase the mitochondrial membrane potential and improve overall mitochondrial function. Mitochondrial exchange requires cell-cell contact, and the gap junction protein connects in 43, or CX43. The importance of CX43 was shown through the finding that stem cells from mice that lacked expression of CX43 were defective in transferring mitochondria, and the success of stem cell transplantation from these mice was significantly reduced. In addition to CX43, they found that the process of mitochondrial transfer is initiated when high ATP levels activate the extracellular purine receptor P2RX7 and inhibit 5' AMP-activated protein kinase, or AMPK. Further, they found that chemical inhibition of AMPK by itself results in increased mitochondrial transfer. Inhibition of AMPK was also shown to increase mitochondrial transfer in vivo and improve stem cell engraftment. The study authors conclude that BM regeneration during stem cell transplant requires that donor hematopoietic progenitor cells transfer mitochondria to the host mesenchymal microenvironment and that mitochondrial transfer from donor HSPC to host BMMSC is regulated positively by hematopoietic CX43 and negatively by hematopoietic AMPK. In the accompanying commentary, Simon mendez Ferrer from the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom states the study opens numerous questions in the emerging field of intercellular communication. He suggests, for example, the future studies will need to determine the contribution of different niche cells to protection from chemotherapy or irradiation and subsequent hematopoietic recovery, and determine in more detail how mitochondrial stress triggers mitochondrial donation from HSCs. Ultimately, these studies could lead to improved success of stem cell transplantation. Our next topic today is an open-label Phase II study entitled Venetoclax plus rituximab plus or minus bendamustine versus bendamustine rituximab in relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma, Contralto, conducted by Pierluigi Zinzani at the University of Bologna in Italy and international colleagues. Follicular lymphoma is typically treated by combining an anti-CD20 antibody with chemotherapy and this approach has improved response rates, progression-free survival, and overall survival compared with chemotherapy alone. Unfortunately, many patients relapse repeatedly with progressively increasing resistance to therapy. Use of targeted agents such as BCL2 inhibitors may enhance anti-tumor therapy by acting as chemosensitizers. However, recently, as the understanding of the pathogenic drivers of malignant B-cell has evolved, alternative therapeutic strategies have been tested. In the Contralto study reported here, Zinzani and colleagues performed a three-arm study in which they tested venetoclax plus rituximab in arm A, venetoclax with rituximab plus bendamustine in arm B, and rituximab plus bendamustine in arm C in patients with relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma. 52 patients received the non-chemotherapy arm A, with an additional 111 patients randomized into a substudy comparing arm B and arm C, with 6 cycles of bendamustine rituximab plus venetoclax versus 6 cycles of bendamustine and rituximab alone, following a safety run-in of 9 patients. 
In the venetoclax plus rituximab arm A, the overall response rate and CR rate were 35% and 17% respectively. In contrast, the bendamustine rituximab and bendamustine rituximab plus venetoclax cohorts showed 84% ORR, with 49% of bendamustine rituximab plus venetoclax patients maintaining response at one year, compared to 57% in the bendamustine rituximab alone arm. The addition of the venetoclax to bendamustine and rituximab did not appear to significantly improve either complete remission rates, 75% versus 69%, or progression-free survival. Furthermore, the addition of venetoclax to bendamustine and rituximab resulted in higher rates of neutropenia and thrombocytopenia compared to bendamustine and rituximab alone, 61% versus 34%, and 57% versus 16%. These and other adverse events led to higher rates of treatment discontinuation in the venetoclax plus bendamustine rituximab arm, 40% versus 4%. Overall, those dose reductions and interruptions resulted in delivery of only 25% of the planned venetoclax dose, 85% of the planned rituximab dose, and 67% of the dose of bendamustine. In contrast, Virtually full doses of bendamustine and rituximab could be delivered in the absence of venetoclax. The authors conclude that chemo-free venetoclax plus rituximab had modest efficacy and acceptable toxicity in relapsed refractory disease and warrants further study. Additionally, as venetoclax bendamustine rituximab led to increased toxicity, optimal chemotherapeutic dosing and or combinations remain to be explored. According to Nathan Fowler from MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, who provides commentary, the inability of the study to demonstrate a clear benefit of venetoclax addition to bendamustine rituximab may be in part secondary to poor drug exposure, especially in the chemoimmunotherapy backbone, and future trials could benefit from exploring alternate dosing and schedules. However, the addition of venetoclax to rituximab monotherapy also demonstrated only marginal improvement over previously published studies with rituximab alone in similar populations. The results, Fowler points out, lie in stark contrast to other recent studies in chronic lymphocytic leukemia that demonstrated profound activity of venetoclax as both a single agent and in combination with anti-CD20 therapy. He points out the factors behind follicular lymphoma's lack of response to BCL2 inhibition are puzzling, and that unfortunately the Contralto study only adds to a growing list of randomized trials in follicular lymphoma that have failed to show significant benefit of novel agents to various clinical outcomes when substituted or added to traditional chemotherapy backbones, especially when it comes to overall survival. The results highlight not only the complexity of clinical trial design, but also the biologic heterogeneity of follicular lymphoma. Finally, in the hopes of ultimately achieving successful trials and ultimately better patient outcomes, there is a real need for predictive biomarkers to help select appropriate populations for subsequent prospective studies. Our final topic today is a study entitled NCOA4 is regulated by HIF and mediates mobilization of murine hepatic iron stores after blood loss by Jiqi Lee and colleagues at Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. 
The liver plays a unique role in systemic iron regulation by serving as the body's major iron depot. Here, the iron is stored primarily in hepatocytes within ferritin, a 24-subunit protein nanocage of heavy and light chains that contain a ferrohydrate mineral core. When excess iron is present in the body, hepatic ferritin levels rise, as do iron stores in the liver. Conversely, iron stored in the liver can be mobilized for use when extrahepatic iron demands increase, such as following bleeding or phlebotomy. However, the mechanisms by which acute blood loss promotes the mobilization of hepatic iron stores are not well understood. In this study, the authors show that a protein known to associate with ferritin and mediate its degradation is important in this process. The protein, nuclear receptor coactivator 4, or NCOA4, is a widely expressed intracellular protein that binds to the heavy chain of ferritin and helps to deliver it to lysosomes in the setting of iron deficiency. Mice with global germline disruption of NCOA4 exhibit hyperferemia, microcytic anemia, as well as elevated ferritin and non-heme iron in multiple organs, demonstrating that NCOA4 is essential for maintaining systemic iron balance. Mice with tissue-specific ablation of NCOA4 in the erythroid lineage show increased non-heme iron levels in the bone marrow, but exhibit mild microcytic anemia, consistent with prior work showing NCOA4 depletion impairs hemoglobinization in cultured erythroblasts. Here, the team used a hepatocyte-targeted NCOA4 knockdown approach to define the local role of NCOA4 in regulating liver iron stores after phlebotomy. They also sought to expand the current understanding of NCOA4 regulation by defining factors that govern NCOA4 mRNA levels in cells of hepatic origin. Hepatocyte-targeted NCOA4 knockdown in non-phlebotomized mice had only modest effects on hepatic ferritin subunit levels and non-heme iron concentrations. After phlebotomy, mice with hepatocyte-targeted NCOA4 knockdown exhibited anemia and hypopheremia similar to control mice with intact NCOA4 regulation, but showed a markedly impaired ability to lower hepatic ferritin subunit levels and hepatic non-heme iron concentration. This impaired hepatic response was observed even when dietary iron was limited. In both human and murine hepatoma cell lines, treatment with chemicals that stabilized hypoxia-inducible factor, or HIF, including deferoxamine, cobalt chloride, and dimethyloxylylglycine increased expression of NCOA4 mRNA. The NCOA4 mRNA induction occurred within three hours preceding a rise in NCOA4 protein and was attenuated in the setting of dual HIF-1-alpha and HIF-2-alpha knockdown. Caroline Philpott from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institute of Health in the U.S. provides commentary on the manuscript entitled Iron on the Move, Mobilization of Liver Iron via NCOA4. She notes that given the many layers of ferritin regulation that have been uncovered to date, further regulatory mechanisms involving NCOA4 seem likely and, additionally, that modulating the turnover of ferritin could prove helpful in the clinical environment. In summary, the authors claim they show for the first time that NCOA4 plays a local role in facilitating iron mobilization from the liver after blood loss, and that HIF proteins regulate NCOA4 expression in cells of hepatic origin. 
Their findings suggest a novel mechanism by which hypoxia and iron deficiency may modulate NCOA4 expression to impact iron homeostasis since the prolyl hydroxylases that regulate HIF stability are oxygen and iron-dependent enzymes. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.